You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I am so excited to tell you about all the new things coming up with this podcast, and thank you so much for listening. But the thing I want to quickly tell you about today is you've heard us talk on the Handicast, the special episodes I do with my sister Heather about our brand Handy. You've heard us talk about our new book, The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability. Well, guess what? It is available for pre-order right now on our website, and I'm so excited about this book because it is a book that puts together 50 amazing disabled and chronically ill contributors to talk to us about sex. But the book just doesn't talk about sex. It talks about how sex and disability feels. So we curated 50 important responses from the disabled community worldwide to write a book that was about not only sex and disability, but the emotions around sex and disability. And we ask contributors to answer questions like, what was the sexiest thing that ever happened to you around your disability? What was the worst sex you've ever had as a disabled person? Tell us about how chronic pain and disability impact your sex life. Tell us about sex work and disability. So many things popped up in this book. It was such an, it's such an important collection, and it's one that I needed when I was coming up out as queer, coming out as disabled, coming out as all these things. I needed this book and these stories to feel like I wasn't alone. So I want to give you listeners the opportunity to pre-order the book right now and tell you a little bit more about the book. So the book is not only just a book, but the book is actually a donation 
towards our sex toys. So if you pre-order the book at that'shandy.co, and I'll, don't worry, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you pre-order the book right now, you'll every dollar from any book sales will go towards the creation of the first sex toy for and by disabled people. How fucking cool is that? It's really, really awesome, and we're super excited. And if you pre-order the book, you will have it in three accessible options. Hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. So if you want to hear more of my dulcet tones serenading you, my friend Katie Venables and I narrate the book. So you can hear me do a bunch of chapters, and then you can hear her do a bunch of chapters. And we're both disabled individuals, so I think it's a really cool project. So I'd love for you to pick up a copy. By picking up a copy of this book, you're saying that sex and disability matters, and you're saying that it's an important conversation, and you're helping to fund the first sex toy ever for and by disabled people. So pick up your book of The Handybook of Love, Lust, and Disability, available right now at That'sHandy.co. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started. First things first, want to give a big shout out to you and thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show and for being for being into it. I get emails from people all the time saying how important the show is and how it's changed their life and some people have even emailed me and said they're using the show for their PhD stuff, which is really kind of cool because I just make the show for my bedroom, so it does mean a lot when I get stuff like that. So thank you so much for listening and making this show a part of your life. I'm really, really glad that I get to be your disabled daddy and be a part of that experience for you and bring my experience of disability to you through this podcast, along with the experience of other guests on the show. So, first things first, I want to give a big shout out also to, well, not first things first, but second thing is first, I want to give a big shout out also to one of the people that supports the Patreon that just pledged $1 a month to keep the show going. Thank you so much to Nina, is their name. Nina, you mean so much to me for doing that. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. And this means you get the show one day early and completely ad-free. How cool is that? If you want to support the show and you're listening and you're like, I really love Andrew's work and I want to find a way to support him, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and support the show. Um, with whatever denomination works for you, but we've started them at $1 a month to make it as accessible as possible, and then $5 a month if you want to pledge more. Or, of course, you can pledge more than that if that works for you. And I really appreciate it. So, thanks, friends. On the episode today, I sit down with a new friend, Min Lee Getty, and we talk a lot about our experiences both having CP, our experiences both having surgery, how a surgery for Min Lee changed her life in the negative and really made her confront disability differently. We also talk about her relationship with her siblings as a result of being disabled and how there's been some strain as she's come to accept her disability more and what she needs. There's been some strain on her relationships with her siblings. And so we chat about that as well. 
We also talk about her experiences going back to Hong Kong, where she learned that, you know, it isn't necessarily acceptable and it is frowned upon to be disabled in Hong Kong and to kind of have a disabled identity. So we talk about a lot of things in this interview. Minley was really fun to sit down with. It was a great hour of chatting, and I'm so excited to have her here. So without further ado, here's my latest interview with my new friend, Minley Getty, right here on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Minley Getty, hello. Hello. So nice to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. I'm really, I'm really, really excited. It was so nice. I love getting letters from people being like, I love your show. Can I come on? So that, that's always cool. Um, so it was nice to get your email saying you want to come on. I'm so glad we're sitting down today. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about, about you and about who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, my name is Lindley Getty. Um, I am um, really nervous right now. So, <laughs> But um, I live in New Jersey. I am disabled. I have cerebral palsy. Um, I can't work, so I volunteer a lot. Well, not right now because of Corona, but, you know, before. <laughs> in before times, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what level of, okay, so, so with C, what, what level of CP do you have? Um, let me, I have the diagnosis right here because I, um, have scatterbrains a lot. So, um, I have it written down. Um, I have a uh, lacencephaly, schizencephaly, hypopituitarianism, spastic right hemiplegia, um, epilepsy, nystagmus due to septic optic dysplasia, and diabetes insipidus, which is basically I can't retain water, which is kind of important. <laughs> okay. Um, so, like, when you say you can't retain water, does that mean, like, it's hard for you to, to not pee? Like, what do you, how do you mean? Um, well, before I was diagnosed, like, I would be peeing a lot, I would be thirsty a lot, so whatever went in, went out, until I was put on medication. Fun! And how old are you? Oh, yeah. I'm 30. Awesome. Awesome. So we're about the same age. Cool. Cool. Um, can you, so can you tell us a little bit about how your CP has affected your day-to-day life? Um, well... It's uh, difficult to say sometimes. It, uh, it depends on the day, but mostly I um, need a cane to walk. Um, I usually use a brace, um, but I can walk without the brace and the uh, cane, but only for short distances. And so how do you, like, and so do you feel, how do you feel about the CP? Like, how do you feel about the disability diagnosis? Um, I mean, it's just been a part of me my entire life. Um, thinking about it this past year, this past year has been very um, eye-opening or um, I, I'm blanking on the specific word, but I've been focusing on it more because um, in the past, I don't know, I just, I wouldn't say I would be in denial, but I was kind of in denial. <laughs> Um, so this year has been, um, really good for just accepting it and to really just embrace it and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as shitty as Corona is, I mean, it, it is kind of cool that it's given you a chance to reflect on what you like, like, and I know, I know how hard it is to be able to like embrace your disability. It is not, yeah. it's never, it's like, and I say, I tell people all the time to embrace your disability and I know firsthand how fucking hard it is to do that so like oh yeah like good for you for for being so willing to like explore that and how all that feels and that's awesome um one of the things i loved in your questionnaire that i was like wow so you're one of 10 kids um 11 i have 10 siblings myself and is uh 11 in total wow that's and are you the only one with a with a visible disability uh, visible disability, yes. Okay, so can you kind of share with with me kind of what what, what was that like growing up with, with ten siblings, 
and then um, needing and then having disabilities on top of that um well in my earlier years before my preteen years i didn't need to use a cane i still had new balance issues and needed help in specific areas um so i didn't really feel like i grew up disabled if that makes any sense yeah totally yeah um but and everything was fine my siblings were very um accepting and i felt very loved um but you know things changed so things changed like in terms of like as you got older disability got more pronounced yeah um when i was about 13 or 14 um i needed um hip surgery um and since then i've needed a cane um my body has changed tremendously um degeneration in my um in my hips and then my joints and um things like that and my balance has just gotten worse since then um so like right now like i'm kind of shaking so it is funny funny because <laughs> that's what i do i shake <laughs> Well, shaking is cool. It can be a cool thing. <laughs> I shake too. Yeah. I have I have weird spasms, so I totally get you there. Um, what was the transition like for you from from not needing a cane to needing, to needing a cane? Um, it was definitely hard. Um, I um, part of my disability is my brain um, didn't fully um, develop. So um, me too. Me too. Yeah. So my memory is really bad. Um, so most of the time during this surgery and things like that, I have to rely on family members to tell me. So it was, but the things I do remember, um, are extremely hard. Um, I didn't want to, the, the recovery um, process was like, so hard. Um, they said I'd be in the hospital for a week. I was in there for like three months. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what like first of all that sucks because when they tell you <laughs> when they first initially tell you you're in there for a short period of time you look forward to that short period of time being over and then wow yeah. months, that's a long wow yeah yeah and, and how do you feel about your cane now i know a lot of people with mobility devices like that the they say the transition's really hard but then they come to a place of like where they kind of love the cane and they love that it's there for them how do you feel about that now um, in the beginning, I did not like the cane, um, but now, you know, I feel like it's an extension of my arm, um, and I have uh, fun sometimes waving it around at people. <laughs> <laughs> See, I sometimes jokingly use my, and this, don't do this, people, but I jokingly <laughs> so, sometimes use my wheelchair as a weapon when I'm in this, when I'm, like, in the street, I'm like, oh, no, I'll run you over. Like, I, I <laughs> I can imagine, like, with a cane, for you, is it, like, do you ever get the urge to, like, this person won't move out of my way, or I could just hit them with a cane? Yeah. <laughs> like, steer my cane, I'm waving it around, like, steer me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I'll get you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes people don't move, and, and sometimes that's, it's fun to play those games, but don't do that if you're listening, it's not nice. Um, no. <laughs> um, so, do you, like... I have a friend who uses a cane. They've been on the show before. Her name's Leslie. She names her cane. Do you have a name for your cane or is it just your cane? Um, I don't have a name for my cane. Um, it'd be nice though. <laughs> yeah, you might, maybe you, you might want to look into it because that, I know when I had Leslie on the show, she talked about how important it was to name them because it's always with her and it's something that makes her feel safe. So maybe if you named it, it would give you like, I don't know, a different way of looking at it. Yeah, definitely. That it wasn't like this thing you had to like, oh no, I need my cane. It's like, oh no, my friend is going with me on this adventure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I've had my cane, you know, this specific cane, you know, since the beginning. So it deserves a name. Yeah, it really does. Anybody who wants to help Minley figure out a name, email me, (laughs) let me know. We'll figure it out together. Or if Minley comes up with one, let us know. Yeah, Um, I will. Awesome. Uh, so one of the things you talked about in your questionnaire that I'd love to hear from you about, you see you wanted to talk about how a surgery changed your life in a negative way. And I know how hard surgeries can be in surgical and medical intervention when you're disabled. And many of us listening surely know all about that. Can you 
talk about what that surgery was and how it changed your life in a negative way? Yes. Um, it was, um, oh, my, I have scatterbrained today, but it was, um, uh, what was it? I'm sorry. My brain is. No worries. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was, um, my hip started hurting. So I needed like basically a hip replacement. Um, and I am blanking on the name of it. Basically they had to break my femur and, uh, like, uh, move the ball in a different, um, angle because it was popping out of my socket. So you had subluxation then and they wanted to probably yes. make you, you, so you and I had the same one. Yeah. I've had that too. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm flicking on the name. It's like a hip reconstruction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had it too. It was it's a real doozy of a surgery for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because they had to you know break my femur. They had to uh, change the ball and put it back in the socket and plate it so <laughs> I wouldn't come back out. Fun, it's so fun, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, so much yeah. fun. So much fun, and I mean, I've had that surgery, and guess what? I still have hip pain. Yay! Oh, I know, right? Like they're like, "Oh, it's gonna fix everything," but no, it does no. not. Yeah, no, I had it too, and you, you still have. It's there now. The hip pain is not as bad as it once was, but it's still there. Oh yeah, definitely. And so, how do you think, like, how do you think that surgery changed your life, and and and, and as you said, in a negative way? Well, before the surgery, I didn't really have to use a cane. I still needed needed assistance um, for some things, but I was pretty independent. Uh, but that changed a lot um, because I went from not needing a cane to needing one. <clears throat> oh, so you, yeah, I can see how you feel like the surgery robbed you of an independence that you like fought so hard for. Yeah, yeah, um, and also like I. Aside from being uh, pretty independent, um, my siblings had to take a um, a bigger role in my care, so that kind of put um, our relationships um, in a strained um, situation. How so? Um, well, my older siblings. Um, I have uh, three older siblings, and they had to basically be my caretakers in. And it, to a certain extent, um, and that put a strain on our relationship because they didn't really see me as like their sister. They just saw me as someone that they needed to take care of. And yeah, I guess that'd be like, like my brothers and I, when we were younger, they had to do, my mom kind of made them do my care. And like, mm-hmm. I think for us, it strengthened our relationship. And I'm so sorry that for you, it's put strain there. Because, like, I would hope that when somebody does your care, like, there's an intimate bond that grows when you help somebody yeah. do care. And so, like, the yeah. hope is that they would, that bond would grow because you've helped them do something really personal. And I'm so sorry that for you it didn't work out that way. It's it's okay. I mean, I've, I've made peace with it. Um, but, I mean, it's definitely hard because a lot of my siblings don't speak to me. And, you know, and I had to accept that. Um so I mean, and they don't speak just, to you. They don't speak to you just because of the of the disability. No, not just that, but that contributes to it. Like there's some like resentments in there, along with some other things. I mean, that really sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that disability and doing something that you need to do to make yourself feel better would cause family strife. That that's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, I want to say it's okay, but I know it's not. <laughs> no, it's not okay. It's. Uh, if I'm being blunt, it's a fuck ton of ableism, and that's yeah. like, it's up there to you. Um, but thank you so much for sharing that piece. I know it can't be easy to talk about. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about your. I'm gonna jump around here because there's some questions that I want to ask yeah, you. Okay. But, uh, tell me a little bit about your the disability community in Hong Kong. I'd love to hear more about that because we rarely hear about that in disability discourse, different cultures and the way that, the way that right. disability understood or disability is understood there. So what can you tell me about that? Okay. Um, so let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I'm adopted and so is all of my siblings or all my siblings. 
Um, so I was adopted from Hong Kong um, and um, I went back in 2017 and I learned a lot. Um, I knew growing up that um, it's frowned upon to have disabilities in Hong Kong and that was why I was um, given up for adoption. Um, but I don't have any like resentment or anything or ill will towards my birth mother. Um, she gave me my best chance at survival yeah. if I stayed there. Yeah, if I stayed there, I probably wouldn't have survived. Um, so going back um, to Hong Kong, um, I learned a lot through the adoption agency and the orphanage. And um, like, there's no people walking around with you know, canes or with um, any mobility devices because it's frowned upon to see them. Um, out walking around so during my trip I used a wheelchair like most of the time and so um, I was getting weird looks and which I don't hold um, any like like bad feelings toward them because I know it's it's uncommon to see someone um, walking around or wheeling around in a wheelchair um, and it's even found upon, surprisingly, for the elderly to be walking around too, because, you know, they have to use mobility devices as well, the, the ones that need it at least. So it's very rare to see people walking around or wheeling around with um, mobility devices. And do you know, like, is the reason because it would, like, just look bad? It doesn't look, like, is there a reason why it's so frowned upon? Um, they just think that any um, defective, you know, quote-unquote defective-looking uh, people is uh, found upon because a lot of the people, or a lot of the children that are given up for adoption are disabled, um, whether um, visibly or not. You know, like if someone has Down syndrome, which my sister, who was also adopted um, from that same orphanage, um, has Down syndrome. She was given up for adoption because she has Down syndrome. And yeah, same thing with me. I had uh, a lot of issues when I, you know, was born. So they just could deal because it's, it's in the same realm of thinking like China has like the perfect child, you know, because I mean, in Hong Kong back then, um, we didn't have the strict rules that China has, you know, the one child, yeah. Um, rule, but it, it was still found upon because that's just the culture there. In your opinion, as somebody who who who's from there, like or who was born there, rather, how, how do you think that um they can fix their ableism problem? Do you think do you think that there's a way they can move past that and change the way they see that culturally, or no? Um. I definitely think that they could, but it would be a very long journey, and I don't think it would. I would be able to see it in my lifetime, because um, when I was there, I did meet a lot of disabled um, people um, that were at the same orphanage or with um, parents who worked at the orphanage, and they um, surprisingly, outside of the city, maybe about twenty or thirty minutes outside the city. They have their own compound, which I was extremely saddened by because, like, why should they be hiding in the shadows in their own, like, compound when there's this huge city, you know, waiting to be, you know, uh, taken over by the disabled community? <laughs> so, they, so they basically live in an institution then? Basically, yeah, which is, you know, I was very shocked and saddened by. That is really, that's, so, you know, I wasn't. Saddeningly, I wasn't surprised you would say that. I was that didn't that doesn't surprise me. It's saddening that I'm not surprised by that at all. Like, like, like it is, yeah. And you know, considering that most of our many of our mobility devices, like our wheelchairs and stuff, a lot of them are built in in China or or you know yeah yeah so you, and, 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 yeah. So I I completely understand. Like, why should it be found upon when they manufacture? A lot? Yeah. So you would think that like. And this is my ignorance on the issue. You would think that, that that because they make all the stuff, that culturally they'd be like more into it and they'd be like more into like disability acceptance. And it's 
kind of upsetting to hear that they're not so much. Yes, it is. Um, and before I went to Hong Kong, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this, but I was really ignorant to the fact that the disabled community um, was basically lurking in the shadows. So I'm really happy that I went because um, I found so much more than um, what I was going there for. I just wanted to go, you know, back to where I was born, visit the, you know, visit Hong Kong and see the sights, different things, meet people that I might have come in contact with as a baby, but I got so much more out of that trip than just um, going back to say hi to my old stomping ground. Yeah, I mean, because you got to, like, see how, you got to understand how the community works or doesn't work or needs, like, you, you got to see, I don't want to say how lucky you are, but how different your life could have been if you'd, if you'd stayed there. Oh, yes, yes. But I do consider myself lucky because uh, there are uh, people who are not so lucky, which, you know, saddens me very much. Um, so um, doctors, when I was born, said that I wouldn't survive. So if I stayed there, um, I probably wouldn't be here. Well, then I'm very happy for you that you're not there right now because you <laughs> seem like a really awesome person. So it's glad that you're I'm not really... I'm happy that you're not having to deal with it, but it does make my heart kind of break for the the young disabled kids that are there now who yes who if they yeah. do survive are going to be taught to hide their disability because it's not culturally acceptable that sucks yeah um, um, what? tell me so on that kind of vein about how about about kind of you and your journey. Tell me a little bit about your self-love and self-acceptance journey to be who you are. Um, well, um, it's been a long journey, you know. Um, um, it's been a difficult journey because um, I was basically in denial. Um, probably wouldn't, probably the word I wouldn't use, but it was it's basically denial. And I just thought that I should be, you know, quote unquote, a normal person, that I should be able to do these things, that um, this is not quote unquote normal, you know, um, and I just felt like the more I would look normal, the more I would feel normal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so like in my earlier like um, 20s, like instead of dressing for comfort, I would dress just to look normal, you know, quote, unquote normal. Um, so that has changed. Um, now I dress just for comfort because, you know, why the hell not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how, and, would you, how would you dress in your early 20s versus like now? Um, as shockingly, like uh, faux leather pants, faux leather jacket, things that are very restrictive, um, just things that I thought would fit, you know, the uh, trends back then <laughs> and now um now i basically live in uh leggings yeah, <laughs> even, <me too>. with, <laughs> even without corona i still live in leggings <laughs> well i mean it's super comfortable like yeah yeah that you totally should um so like how so at what point were you like fuck it i'm just gonna be myself and it's okay um i would say about um Maybe a year or two ago. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I'm 30, and I feel like I'm just discovering things that, you know, maybe 20-year-olds should, but I'm, I don't really care. Um, I'm just glad that I'm at this point in my life, no matter how old I am during this time. Well, good for you. That's, that's, that's a, it's really, like, I'm 36, and I'm not there yet, so good for you. That's, Thank you. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's still on a journey, so I think it's going to be a lifelong journey, but at least I started it. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's When we have disabilities, it's so hard to find self-love because everyone is telling us to rise above, to push past our disabilities. Yes. To, yes. They're feeding us these ableist narratives. And so the fact that you've reached a place where you're, you feel good about yourself and feel happy about who you are as a disabled person, that takes guts to like get there. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you about sex because okay. we are sort of, we, well, we were 
a sex podcast and now we're in everything podcast, but we were a sex podcast. I want to ask you about being, being disabled and being asexual. Can you share with me a little bit about that journey for you? Yes. Um, because I'm still on this journey um, of just discovering myself and my disability and how I feel about it. Um, I never really had um, the um, like early 20s kind of lifestyle of, um, of discovery, of finding your sexuality. And that journey has actually taken me until this year, um, which I'm not ashamed of. No, but, you shouldn't be. Yeah, but um, like, you know, I've, you know, not interested in like watching porn or something, but I've read like stories that has given me a vows or advice, um, however you would say that. But anytime I read something like that, which is, you know, kind of, kind of uh, <laughs> uh, um, more so than before, and I don't really get a rise out of it anymore. I would like to, but you know, it's something that um, is just not happening these days. Um, and because I haven't really been in a lot of relationships, like um, I have no experience, um, at least long-term relationships, no experience with, you know, having sex or different things like that. So do you feel, so do you, are you angry that, are you, not angry, but are you, are you upset that you have a lack of desire or are you reaching a place where you're like comfortable with, you like, it doesn't matter? Um, I'm comfortable with it, but um, it'd be nice to at least experience it in a more uh, intimate capacity, if that makes any sense, because I've never been with anyone um, physically. Um, so this might change if I do, um, become like attracted to someone or because, um, no shame to anyone who just wants to have sex because, you know, go for it. Um, but I have to have, uh, like a relationship in order to really want to do that with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And as I get older, you know, I like, I don't need to have a relationship for me. It's not needing a relationship, but it is needing a sense of like intimacy with somebody before I right. yes. it's like yeah. I want to get to know you a little bit before I do those things but yeah. um how do you and you you also mentioned in your questionnaire that you never thought sex was a possibility for you can you talk more about that yes um well you know I was never the kind of uh teenager that thought about those types of things and I just kind of threw it into a column of that's never going to happen because I'm disabled, no one's going to want me, um, just that destructive thinking, you know. That, that like superimposed internalization, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's taken me a long time to get to this place where I'm just going to be like, fuck it, I don't really care, you know, like if I do have sex, you know, or if I, um, or these different things, you know, it's like I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, live my life. That, I mean, part of me is like, good, because that's really freeing. Then you don't have to worry about all the bullshit. Because believe me, when you start having sex with people, it's fun and it's hot and it's good times. But yeah. also, there's a bunch of bullshit that you have to manage with it, too. So, like, part of me is like, good for you. Just do yourself <laughs> and whatever. But I understand how you, you would definitely want to, like, experience that. And I hope for you that you do. But I also hope for you that, like, I'm kind of not so worried about you. I kind of hope that you just go on your own path and whatever happens for you is good because like, trust me, the bullshit when you start dealing with people is yeah. no fun. Yeah. I can, I've uh, have had horror stories uh, with people who are, uh, who aren't disabled. So it's like, why, why go through that? Um, all that pain and stuff. So yeah, that, I mean, that doesn't deter me, but it's like, it's not something that I'm actively looking for these days. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. It's It can be a shit show. Believe me. One of the things you mentioned in your questionnaire is that, you know, you were, at one point you were ghosted and turned down because of your disability. And I yes. really, I so connected with that when I read that point because I was like, I was like, oh, friend, I get turned down and ghosted because of my disability all the time. Can you share a little bit more about that experience with us? Yes. Um, 
I was on a dating app. Uh, that's uh, what I usually use, although it's hard dating um, anyone um, online for me because I'm so technologically challenged. <laughs> so, um, you know, I met this guy on a dating app. Uh, we messaged, you know, every single day for hours. We would uh, video chat. We were, you know, having a, a good uh, beginning sort of, you know, relationship, setting the groundwork for a relationship. Yeah. And then one day I texted and never heard back. Isn't that the worst? I've, yes. It's that, is, you know, first of all, I feel for you because it's happened to me more times than I can even count. And I know how painful it is when you, when we start opening up to people, especially to non-disabled people, when we start yes. opening up and telling them our truth and telling them about our disabilities and being really vulnerable like that and then they disappear that hurts <laughs> it hurts in a way that i can't even explain how it just yeah. it's so much more painful than you expect yeah but i'm surprisingly very good at compartmentalizing so when that happens like i just threw it in a compartment and forgot about it but when those feelings come back up, if something reminds me of those feelings, it brings it back up. Like it's a new wound, which I'm trying to work on, not compartmentalizing my feelings because that's just like a default I would go to. Like, okay, that makes me sad or that makes me fist, a pissed, sorry, <laughs> pissed. Um, so I would just go in a compartment and forget about it, which, you know, my CP brain that call is like surprisingly really good at compartmentalizing which is not good for my mental health well so, i'm not good at it i'm like let's have all the <laughs> let's have all the emotions all the time um tell me a little bit about like so the the guy just ghosted you and then and then like how did them how did initially before you compartmentalized it how did you feel like what did you feel about that um i felt sad i thought that we were setting really good groundwork for a relationship um and so it didn't devastate me because it wasn't like in the um like really serious part it was kind of in the middle um if that makes sense like between monogamy and um an open relationship kind yeah. of in between so i thought that we were on a, on the road to you know a relationship where it's just me and you but then poof gone <laughs> It's that's so rough. I, I was I was chatting with somebody for a couple of years and they did the same thing to me and I was devastated. I was like really I was beside myself on separate days because you know, I shared my story with them and I shared how it was and I let them into yeah. my I let them into my disabled life and they ghosted and I was like I I didn't have the emotional like capacity to deal with it I freaked out it was hard yeah that makes sense yeah and the reason why I compartmentalize a lot is because I don't know a lot of the times how to deal with it so when those compartments open up again it's like a fresh wound and I'm like I have to deal with this at some point so why not now like yeah but yeah yeah that happened a couple of years ago but you know um I have just been opening up these compartments and having to deal with these things but it's been good for my mental health why do you think that you why do you think you compartmentalize so much like why do you think as somebody with cp and disability like do you think your disability has a lot to do with that i think it has part of the reason why um, because I call it my CP brain, because you know, part of my brain did develop, so there, you know, some things missing. So um, I think that my brain doesn't know what to do with it, so it just throws it into a compartment. And then when I have to deal with it, it's like it freaks out. So I get all like, like oh my gosh, what the fuck am I gonna do? Like, like how do I deal with this? Like. So my brain just wants to throw it out the window, which, you know, is not healthy. Do you ever get mad? Like, you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, you have CP brain and that you feel like there's something missing. Do you ever get mad at your, at your brain and at your body because, like, because of, of that's something that you feel is missing? Do you ever get, like, really just pissed off? Oh, yes. A lot of the times. Um, and I, I internalize that a lot. So whenever um, 
I get to a point of exploding. Uh, my poor mother, I explode on her a lot because I, these compartments just are closed and then all of a sudden something sparks or something reminds me of those feelings and I just explode. And my, my again, my poor mother, <laughs> she gets the one of these explosions, unfortunately. It's funny because my mom and I, we, we're really close. And when we, when I get upset about disability, I will explode on her too. So like, I, I, yeah. I, I feel for my mom too sometimes. Like, oh, sorry, I was having a disability moment there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You mentioned also in the questionnaire kind of how you feel, how a lot of the times you feel like a burden. And how, like, how do you, how do you, like, and I know that feeling super well and it's something that I struggle with daily. How do you manage all that? And how do you like, how do you work through that? Or how do, or just how does that feel for you? Um, well, it's, I'm still working through it, but, um, like, once again, let me think for a second. Um, it's hard to explain. Having so many siblings and having, you know, so many people that are, um, that can do different things. And I'm sorry, I'm going off. That's what was right. the question again? My, my CP brain. I don't know what the heck I'm saying. <laughs> so the question was, how do you feel? You mentioned you mentioned in the questionnaire that sometimes you feel like a burden and sometimes you feel yes. like how being yeah. a burden isn't only influenced by your physical or invisible disability, but by the limitations of the thinking processes of the people around you. So can you share that with us? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, because I have to use, you know, uh, special special transportation. I can't drive because I'm legally blind. Um, so a lot of the things um, that I need is transportation. And I just, I feel bad asking people for rides, even though I shouldn't, or I uh, feel bad whenever um, I need special assistance in certain areas. Um, so it's, it's definitely hard because um, my family has helped, at least my siblings. They are very ableist and it's like very resentful, I guess, to those things that I need. Um, so it's, it's just been difficult on that front. Um, feeling like a burden is, um, I don't know, people you know, give out those vibes of like, you know, why do you need help? Like, you're able-bodied, mostly. And so I get those looks, like, why do you need help? Or at least those looks that make me feel like um, I like should be able to, Yeah, like I should be able to do these things, which, you know, I can't most of the time. Or, you know, so it, it's, it's too difficult. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like, you know, unfortunately your family, your, your siblings, haven't made it really easy for you to accept being disabled, I guess, part of the family. And I mean, that's just, to hear that is really hard because like, I can imagine how, how, how difficult it is to have family member that doesn't get that you're disabled and need help or won't accept that. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, I also think that it wasn't very, um, helpful when, um, you know, I could walk without a cane. I didn't really need assistance. I mean, yes, I was still legally blind, but that didn't really come into play until later on in life in terms of needing rides to places because, you know, I was homeschooled, so I didn't really do any extracurricular activities or different things like that or just different things like that. Um, so, you know, having been not needing a cane and then needing it and then that sudden shift in family dynamics um, definitely put it, I think, um, put a strain on things um, in terms of that. Is there any way, like, have you been able to sit down with them and be like, hey, I love you, you're my family member, but I'm also disabled, like, deal with it? <laughs> um, I haven't gotten to that kind of uh, stage in my relationships with my siblings. I mean, um, right now, um, I live with my sister who has Down syndrome, and she knows she has, you know, Down syndrome, but it's it's hard um, to uh, really fully communicate as an adult 
Um, but you know, she knows I'm disabled. She understands that I need help, but I still feel bad. I, it's more of my um, ableism and in my mind, um, those things. Because um, I'm like, hey, sister, you know, June, can you help me with this? You know, like I feel bad, but I shouldn't. Like, it's like, it's just my reality. Totally. And so, like, I really want for you to be, to find ways to, like, quiet that internalized ableism voice because I know how loud it can be I've had yeah. I have it every day too and so I know how difficult it can be to hear those voices in, in your head telling you that you're like you're not good enough and like you're not you should need you don't need help and it's hard so yeah. is, there, is there any kind of like care that you do for yourself that is that is like empowering to your disabled identity um, well, volunteering has been, well, not recently, but, you know, because of Corona, but uh, volunteering um, has been something um, that has really helped me in terms of that, um, because um, I just, I love helping people. Um, I love just loving on people, and those people that allow me to do that is has been really helpful in my life. Um, so, I mean helping people has just been something that has, you know, called to me. I don't know. I guess because um, a lot of the people in my life, aside from my parents, um, aren't as um, caring or as nurturing. I love to be that for other people. And that's so, and I think that's true. I think when, when we, I think as disabled people, for a lot of us, we like to help other people because we know what it's like to, need help and to want support what oh, yes, kind of yeah. what kind of volunteering do you do you do um before uh yeah corona um i <laughs> volunteered at a um at a hospital i was in the process of um going through an apl- application to volunteer at a um like retirement home or nursing home um, I also volunteered at like a um, like a drug abuse center um, and helped with that. Um, I also wanted to um, volunteer at like a homeless shelter, um, and I was actually in the process of researching uh, disability communities in my area um, that I could volunteer at as well, but. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. Big corona. Um, no, but I think that's really great. And I think also you being, having so many multiple identities and also being a disabled person, being in those communities, because as we know, like disability is way too white and way too whitewashed. And like, I think you wanting to, to be there will also show the disability community that like, there's more than just pretty white disabled people doing stuff. There's yeah. like, a different you know there's different versions of disability everywhere so i think first of all i think your volunteering is amazing that's so much that's so much volunteering i couldn't do it i tell you that right now but i i think it's really awesome that you want to do that and you use your experience as a disabled person to help other disabled people yeah definitely i mean i went to uh, college for um social work so I'm, I'm glad i could you know put that into use although you know because the where i live i can't work and retain you know my uh medical benefits which i need um so at least i'm putting it into use in some other capacity yeah i'm really glad that you're doing that and do you find like it makes you happy though right and you feel good doing what you do Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I love to do. Um, it's definitely helped in terms of not just filling out my days, which in the beginning, that was kind of my reasoning for volunteering in the beginning was because, you know, I need to get out of the house. Like, I can't just live in, you know, one place just all the time being stagnant. Um, so that was the selfish reason for starting it. But I really fell in love with it afterwards and was like, I want to do more. Um, if I could work, I would work in that field, you know, in helping people, whether it be um, 
drug abuse uh, or drug addiction or disability or the homeless, um, just anyone that really would accept help, I would be there. That's great. I also want to let you know that even though it's considered volunteering, and I think it's important to just to tell you for you that it is work, it is a form of work, and you are, even though you're not getting paid to quote work there, you are putting in emotional labor and you're putting in time and you're sharing your disability experience with people. So just so that you kind of understand that work, work looks different for everybody. And so I would say that it is a form of work. Um, yes, absolutely. And I, I, yeah, I, I put in a lot of time, or at least I try to. Um, so, well, not now, but you know, <laughs> before. <laughs> Somebody and anybody listening who wants an awesome volunteer or who wants to help give <laughs> Minley some money for doing all the things she does, reach out to her because that's because it's hard to do what we do and it's hard to be disabled and to put time and effort into stuff. Even even stuff we love when our when our bodies are hurting or when disability gets in the way, it can be really hard. So Yeah, absolutely. I, as an as a fellow disabled person who's made a job out of my disability I commend you for doing what you do. Thank you. I mean, it's just, I, I find it, it just comes naturally. I know that doesn't happen for everyone, but that's just how I feel about it. That's great. That's, and I think that's, again, I think you using your disabled experience in a volunteer setting or a work setting is really valuable. Um, you did mention on the questionnaire that you, in college, you had trouble making friends and your experience making friends in college. Can you kind yes. of, and I, on my social media and stuff recently, I've been talking a lot about dis- disabled friendships and how hard it is to make friends. Can you kind of share that, your experience with us? Yes. Um, let me backtrack just a little bit. Um, growing up, um, I was homeschooled. All of my siblings were, and so my parents were divorced. And then like the younger um my younger siblings went to, you know, high school and, you know, public school. So I was one out of maybe four or five that did not go to a public school. So going from, you know, not going to school, not being really uh, socialized um, to being, you know, wanting to be thrust into an academic environment um, after so many years of not being in an academic environments um i wanted to um and making friends is not my strong suit but you know once i'm your friend you can't get rid of me <laughs> so <laughs> even if you wanted to um but, i think that's a great quality me too yeah <laughs> um yeah so it's definitely um pushing me out of my comfort zone like when i went to my community college like i'm like okay i have to join a, a club otherwise I'm not gonna make friends because I'm shy and I'm an introvert so like I'm like I have to do this just for myself so my first semester I kept on walking by this uh one um, club room which the community college that I go to has two campuses um one that's really large and then one um that's really small and the one that's really small is closer to me so I didn't have to really travel that far for it which is super convenient but because it's like a separate entity to itself um there are like one or two clubs so I'm like okay I'm joining this club I don't know what I don't really care what it is I'm just going to join it so (laughs) um for that one semester I just walked past them I'm like okay one day I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to do it (laughs) and what kind Um, of what did it end up being what kind of club um, it actually turned out uh, surprisingly well. It's called uh, Circle K International. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically volunteers um, all over the world. So that was kind of like in my wheelhouse. Because oh, before, yeah, it's perfect for yeah, you. Yeah, it was. Um, because before I went to college, I was volunteering a little bit. So, yeah, I was like, it's, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, totally. So and the, and so like did that did that push you to make more friends and be more like open about being disabled or how like what? Um, I don't think it really pushed me to uh like really accept my disability. 
I just wanted to make friends because I never really had any. And I, you know, the siblings that I have weren't very, um, weren't very nice to me. So, I mean, it was, so like, I don't want to say desperate, but I was pretty desperate to make friends. To connect, yeah. Yeah, to connect with anyone who would allow me to connect with them. So I was very like, you know, yes, I'll do this. Yes, you know, I, once I started making friends, I'm like, I had FOMO, like, so much. It's like, what are they doing? Like, I just want to, I just want to make friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, I was kind of aggressive in the beginning, but. No, I get that. I, as a disabled person, when I want to make a friend or when I like somebody or when I like, when, for me, when I'm like attracted to somebody, I can be super aggressive. And it's not because I want to be aggressive. It's because like, this has never happened for me before. These experiences yes. of like yeah. connecting and dating and like none of the, like I often, and I've said this before, but I often feel like, oh, you're drinking Canada dry. like Canada, like where I am. Yay. Awesome. It's like, you knew, <laughs> like you knew we were talking today. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I feel a lot of the times when I make friends, I'm very aggressive because I'm so excited about the possibilities of what this could be that I, that I don't yeah. want to let it, just relax i'm so excited so oh, yeah. I, I understand that feeling of like aggressively pursuing friendships out of just sheer excitement because it's never happened before oh yeah definitely especially since you know i was never in a in a public school or anything so yeah i was very <laughs> aggressive um but yeah and fomo definitely ruled my life <laughs> um when I was in the beginning um, years of my college education. Um, but now I have a small circle that I, you know, love and cherish, even though they live in a different state. And, you know, because of Corona, I can't see them, which is, you know, terrible right now. But one day you know. when Corona is over in like 2085, you'll be able to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, before I was just like, you know, very accommodating to people like whenever they wanted I was very taken advantage of um because I was just I had my heart on my sleeve you know it was just like just care for me I just want someone to you know care for me as much as I would care for them you know just that wanting of a human connection and I mean and, and as you say sometimes that wanting can make us be taken advantage of because we're so excited we don't see when someone's being you know using us or being or not not respecting us and so like, yes. I, I've, yeah. I, I've definitely been in that situation with people where like I've let them use me and be not super kind to me because I wanted friendship so much and so yes. I hope for you that that doesn't happen so much it hasn't um I've gotten a lot um of more um self-respect I guess um for myself because I had to um distance myself from a lot of people um including um, some of my siblings um because they would take advantage of me and you know because I live on assisted living services um like I don't have a lot of um money to spare but because of those early days I'd be like yes you know just I would be like yes I can help you but even though I didn't really have the money to help yeah them, I st- yeah I still help them so I definitely um had to distance myself from a lot of people and people who have used me People um, listening, or, don't use disabled people and don't steal our money. It's horrible. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. It's yeah, not definitely. kind and it's super mean. <laughs> and I hope that anyone who's done it rots in hell. It's horrible. It's, good. it's, it's <laughs> yeah, so definitely. bad. It is. It is. But um, I'm in a place now where if I make friends, I make friends. And I'm, I'm happy whether or not I have friends. Because, you know, I have friends that I do love and that don't take advantage of me and understand me. And so anyone who wants to be my friend, just, you know, know that I'm not going to take any shit. Good for you. Good Thank you. for you. Um, this is such a fun conversation and so eye-opening, and I'm so glad we got to sit down together. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing all your experiences and being so open about all this stuff. Is there any, any last things you want to share? Um, sorry. Um, 
just um, anyone who's listening, just let you accept yourself. Uh, just learn that it takes time. I'm 30, and I'm probably going to fully accept myself when I turn 80, uh, which is okay. I didn't think that that was, that was okay in the beginning. I thought that I had to know myself. I had to accept myself, even though I didn't. Even though I knew I didn't, I just acted. I put on these airs of, I accept myself, I'm doing this, um, you know, but just it takes time. It takes time. I would agree with you. And for you, mainly, I would say also that, like, just know that you can have days where you don't accept yourself. You can have days where you don't love yourself. It's okay. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I have, I have plenty of those. I'm going to find Like, it's a dis- from, one, from one gimp to another, I can tell you that like, it's okay to be, to have moments where your disability is not super fun for you. Um, oh, yeah. And it's okay to, like, embrace that, too, whatever that looks like for you. But... I want people to be able to get a hold of you and to be able to reach out to you if they want to hear more of your story. How can they do that? Um, well, I have both, sorry, both uh, Facebook and Instagram, but I'm mostly on Instagram. It's um, Minley Getty. Um, I believe there's some underscores there. It's like Min, M-I-N-H underscore L-E underscore Getty, G-E-T-T-Y. And um, I also have a uh, macrame page because um, through Corona, I've learned to love working with my hands, even though my hands are very difficult to work with Yay, a lot CP. of the times. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I found working with my hands very therapeutic. So I do have uh, it's a page called macrame by Minley. Um, no underscores, no spaces. Cool. Awesome. I'll, I'll find all those links and I'll put them in the show notes for today. And uh, anybody who wants to donate some dollars to Min Lee for Macrame, do that because volunteering is fun, but I'm sure that money is fun too. Uh, yes, money is very fun. <laughs> so if anybody wants to donate to Min Lee for doing that, I would highly, I'm urging all the listeners with dollars to put some dollars down towards Min Lee's stuff because <laughs> I want to support disabled creators and she's creating yes. stuff. So cool. Um, Millie, this is great. I love sitting down with you today. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I'd love to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for being on today. Bye. Okay. Thank you. All right, friends. This has been another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on all social media at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We'd love to have you as a guest so you can shine a bright light on your disability story. If you want to support the show and get the show one day early along with ad-free versions of the show and a cool shout-out, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast Shining a Bright Light on Disability Story. We'll see you next time. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions with music by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020